Hello, exceptional people. You are now listening to Change Today, a new podcast about how we can better society. I'm your catering co-host, Maria Antone. And I'm co-host, Molly Quatrusi. And today we will be discussing some important terms to know to be a part of the Black Lives Matter movement. But first, let's catch up. Molly, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? <laughs> I'm also doing pretty well. Had a long and stressful week, but it is Friday. TGIF. TGIF. I am looking forward to an apple cider donut. Mm. And that's all I've been thinking about for the last like couple of hours. Those are. <laughs> so I'm gonna go good. home and eat one. Those are so so good. Yeah, they're like my favorite thing about fall. Also, um, I have said this before, but I am so happy to say it again. Apple cider will beat anything pumpkin every day of the week. <laughs> I second that opinion. It's just so much better. I hate pumpkin coffee. Like Yeah, I, no, pumpkin flavor is weird, too. Yeah. It can be too sweet sometimes. And I don't know what it is, but I just, like, I've never enjoyed it. And same thing with, like, pumpkin pie. I could nope. never. Not just for pumpkin, me. And I think it's just because I picture it as a squash. It uh-huh. feels weird because it is a squash. Yeah. It feels weird having it be something sweet yeah. in something I'm drinking. It's I just apples are already sweet. Like, you know that yeah. they're sweet. It's also kind of weird that, like, because if you're carving a pumpkin, you're not going to also, like, be eating the insides, right? right? Like, but if, like, there's an, like, apple and you're, like, making an apple pie, like, you're going to be snatching up pieces and eating it dirt, yes. like, throughout. Because you can eat an apple regularly yeah. and also in the pie form. Like, what also does, the what happens form. to a pumpkin to make it that weird pumpkin pie texture? Yeah. I don't get that. Which is one of the reasons I literally can't enjoy it. I'm so no. concerned that it's not even pumpkin. It's just, uh, it's just, I agree with you. It's just not the best flavor of fall. And I will always defend that apple cider is better than pumpkin spice lattes. Mm-hmm. Apples are better than pumpkins mm-hmm. in general. Um, apple pie is better than pumpkin pie. Yep. And apple cider donuts are better than pumpkin donuts. Exactly. Did you go apple picking yet? No, I'm you so didn't. upset. Oh, I'm going um, on Monday with a few of my friends. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I wonder, I don't know because of COVID if they're still going to be doing hayrides. Right. And you have to, like, make an appointment with the farm to go. Right. Which is, I mean, good for them for taking precautions, but I'm interested to see how that works out. But I'm really hoping for a hayride because it's, like, such a fall thing to do. I feel like because of the appointments, they probably can still do hayrides because only a limited number of people will be on the farm at the same time. Yeah, you're right. Hopefully that does work out. Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. So, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? The ability to do organic chemistry. Oh. Honestly. I was going to do a similar one. I was, it was school-related. For me, I would want to have... Um, What's that, the memory where if you read something, you automatically just know it? Photographic it. memory? Yes, I would have a photo. I would wake up tomorrow with a photographic memory and breeze through school. Are you yep. joking? A higher IQ? Thank you. Yes. Breeze and thank you. Definitely. I would just, organic chemistry two is even harder than organic chemistry one, which it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but. <laughs> I was just like, okay, I got through Orgo 1, I can get through Orgo 2, and it's just it's just not working out that way. Yeah, I get that. It's so hard. But I'm obviously not a STEM major, so, I mean, God bless you for doing all, all of that. <laughs> but I'm a double major, and they're both humanities, 
and the amount of reading I have to do and then for how, the amount of classes that I have and then you expect me to remember them and then walk into class yeah. and like know what I'm doing be able to discuss it like ma'am <laughs> I literally have no clue what I just read like I'm surprised I was able to get through it so you know what photographic memory for me thank you yep. and have all those syntheses down in my brain I wish I could just walk in and be like, this reagent will make this chemical. And that's how it happens. Because that's the whole point of the class. But <laughs> we got this. We got this. Um, while I have absolutely no idea what any of that means, I am praying that you do well in your ARC 2 class. Thank you very much. Those prayers are appreciated. And with that, let's get right into it. Like Miriam said before, the topic we'll be discussing today is terminology that is relevant to the Black Lives Matter movement. So first, I'll start with ACAB, also known as all cops are bastards. Not bad. Just have to clarify that. The origins of this term are unclear. However, the message is not. All cops are part of a corrupt system, and no cop is innocent of the atrocities the system as a whole commits. So basically what that means is that even if individually you're a cop and you consider yourself to be a good person, just taking the occupation alone makes you a bastard because you're putting yourself in a system that has had such tumultuous racial history Mm -hmm. that you're subjecting yourself to being, as a whole, one of those people who is just racist towards black people in your occupation it's just it's just what comes with it even if you individually may not consider yourself a racist your occupation is Mm -hmm. i mean it literally started as slave patrol like that's how cops in america started exactly you can't deny those origins exactly your occupation's origins are inherently racist and although you may not be it's just your system is Mm -hmm. and i understand cops being upset when they hear like a cab and people like screaming a cab right but what bothers me is people who aren't cops that are like how dare you say that exactly like, you literally choose to be a cop right like that's a like, choice that you make you don't get to choose where you're born or what you look like no, like that's like it is not a choice but your occupation is a choice for sure And you know going into it that you're subjecting yourself to potentially dangerous situations in which you are supposed to have the control to make the right choice and diffuse it. So moving on, the next term for you to know is microaggressions. So a microaggression is a term used for a brief or commonplace daily verbal or behavioral indignities Um, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative attitudes towards stigmatized, culturally marginalized groups. So examples of this would be if a white person commented on the way that um, an immigrant speaks. So if they have an accent and you go, wow, your English is really good. Right. Or, wow, you speak well for a black person. Exactly. Those are microaggressions. Another one is if you are walking down the street or you are in an elevator and a black man comes up to you, if you cross the street or if you clutch your back closer to your chest, 
That is also a microaggression. If you think they don't notice, I'll let you know right now. They definitely they do. notice. And then there's also um, non-racial microaggressions. Like if a woman in her workplace is trying to present an idea and the men in the room are not letting her have her turn, are criticizing what she's saying, are brushing her off, clapping her off, making comments about her femininity, not allowing her to, you know, make good points or whatever the, you know, whatever it may be. Um, all of those can be considered microaggressions. Yes. So next up, we have BIPOC, which stands for Black Indigenous People of Color, and it's a more inclusive version of POC. So this was this is relatively a new term because I've always used POC and POC, but it's um, POC and POC is very general. Very general, yeah. So a lot of the times when you're talking about a specifically black issue, it's important to say BIPOC or honestly just black yeah. is fine. Black people are okay with you calling them black. Yeah. Because they're proud of it. It's their race, and it, they don't want to deny that. So they encourage you to call them black. It's not offensive. It's not hurtful. You're not going to hurt their feelings by calling them black because it's what they are. Mm-hmm. And also it's important to um, remember that even when you're writing a paper, like a, you know, something that you're going to be passing in uh, has to be formal, you can still use the word black. It's right. still, can, it, you know, if you capitalize it the way that you would capitalize African-American, then that term is perfectly acceptable it is not an offensive term yes. it is literally what black people are yes. like if somebody was talking to me and they were like oh that middle eastern girl i'd be like yep that's me like yeah it's exactly i mean it's in the name black lives matter mm-hmm. obviously they want you to use it it's, exactly you're not hurting their feelings and when you're talking one-on-one you know with a black person or but a, a specific black person you don't have to say african-american because a lot of times, they're not African-American. Yeah. They can be from the Dominican Republic. They can be um, Haitian. Right. There's, you know, multiple other places where black people are from. So. Right. Not everybody who's black has African orange- origins. <laughs> not orange. You can use BIPOC. You can use black. Right. You can use African-American. But just remember that BIPOC is more specific to the black community, and black is not offensive as a term. Right. And BIPOC is better to use also when discussing multiple minorities Mm -hmm. because you're including everybody yeah um oh and just a quick little side note while the word black is an offensive don't refer to a group of black people as blacks with an s at the end yes that has some negative connotations to it or saying things like oh the blacks it's yeah, the blacks. Exactly. That, that's where we kind of have to draw the line. Right. And don't say colored people either. Yes, that's... colored people is um, not acceptable anymore. No. Um, okay, so our next term is oppression. Now, I'm assuming that most people are familiar with the definition, but I will give it anyway. Oppression is malicious or unjust treatment or exercise of power, often under the guise of governmental authority or cultural criticism it is very cruel and it's pretty much put in place to keep minorities at bay you know we don't want them (laughs) having any kind of power so we're as a you know as a white majority country going to put in systems of oppression that will keep them in their little communities and away from 
the rest of the population. And ensure that white people still remain in power in every single aspect of society. Absolutely. And it's so deeply rooted in yes. American history. Yes. To be oppressive. Yes, it is. And these institutions that were created no matter how long ago, they still have huge impacts. Yep. Which, I mean, we literally see, like we said earlier with cops, the original institution was an oppressive one. It was state slave patrols. Um, and now those people that were literally just meant to go and capture slaves who had run away are... In our daily lives, every single aspect, pretty much. They're yeah. called to a scene for anything, a little low-risk crime as big as a full-on murder. It's they're, yep. And they're just called into homes for mental health checks, wellness checks. It's an odd translation when you think about their origins to how integrated they are in our daily lives. Absolutely. Speaking on that, the next term we have is defund the police. Mm -hmm. This is the call to reduce the budget of police departments across the country and pour these funds into education, work programs, and social services. This is very important to do because communities thrive when they have more fully funded resources and not a strong police presence. Yeah, I mean, if we think about the way that how much the police have to do and how much they're actually equipped for, there is a huge disparity. Exactly. I mean, a cop spends the majority of their training. I, I had the numbers. I don't anymore. I'm really sorry about that. But um, it was like, I want to say like 75 to 80 percent literally shooting, you know, right. being the first to action. Right. Most of their training is based off of being faster. So when it comes to like mental health and how talking somebody off a ledge, that is not their strong that suit. That is not what they're They are for. not social workers. They're not psychologists. They're, not psychologists. they're just police. Exactly. And so, so if so if the funding that is going to the police for these wellness checks is put into a better more accessible social services, like more accessible therapy for everyone in the community, these wellness checks wouldn't have to happen as often because someone would have somebody to talk to and mm -hmm. release these feelings that they have and find solutions to help them. Or even when they call 911, instead of sending a dispatch unit, they can send somebody who's tra literally trained. Exactly. Like this is actual training that people have to do about how to talk somebody off a literal ledge. Yes, if like, that is their occupation, they know how to do this, and they can. And it'll be more accessible if the funding goes into that instead of just to the police department. Mm -hmm. And not to mention that when you pour this money into the community, when you pour it into the schools, when you pour it into healthcare, when you pour it into getting people off of the streets, we all know there's a huge correlation. When poverty goes down, so do crime rates. Yes. So why are we putting money or taking money out of our community and putting it towards the police just to give them more work when we can take that money, put it into community, make their jobs easier and make these people's lives better. Exactly. It would help so much because we know that with better funding, more kids can stay in school mm -hmm. and the retention rate will be higher because there's so many more opportunities at that school. Then once you're fully educated, you can either go into the workforce and continue on to school. And if there's more jobs in your community, then finding a job is easier because there's more funding. Mm -hmm. It's just, if everybody's in working or in school, getting educated, having access to these opportunities, 
then we'll see less crime because everybody will be working towards bettering themselves exactly. instead of being on the streets or suffering in poverty and committing crimes just to make it to the next day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you take a further look at police budget in all of America, the, the number that it amounts to could effectively end homelessness in America. It could. So it's looking at things like that. I, I, like, hopefully we're just making you think. That right. The police budget is so high, regardless of what your local policemen say. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, if you go to town meetings ever, I can guarantee you I've always seen a cop or a firefighter stand up and say, we need one more vehicle, we need one more of this, we yes. need one more of this. You don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You <laughs> what really you need don't. to do is put that money back into the community so we can help get these people off the streets so they won't need to be calling the cops. Exactly. Moving right along... We have um, voter suppression. So this is kind of a little bit out of left field, but it's very important to talk about. So voter suppression is a strategy used to influence the outcome of an election by discouraging or preventing specific groups of people from voting. So, for example, felons are not allowed to vote. So that means 5.85 million Americans have been disenfranchised. They're not allowed to vote. And we already know that because of white privilege, which we'll also talk about a little bit later, um, and just because of the way that how corrupt the police are, that black people are much more likely to go to prison, even for things things like like marijuana marijuana use, use, even though it's legal now. And if they are already in prison, they're less likely to be released and still likely to be a felon afterwards. They can't vote. Um, this obviously disproportionately affects a community that's already targeted. If your voice, if you're already a minority, your voice is being heard less. And when half, when a good percent of your population is in prison and their voting rights have been taken away, then your voice will be heard even less. Yeah. As well as you know, this has been a problem in America that people have been speaking out against, at least on the left, for a while. The fact that voting is on a Tuesday. <laughs> Our, our founding fathers were like, we're going to make it on Tuesday. And everyone was like, okay, I guess. But, you know, Tuesday's literally in the middle of your work schedule. Right. It's, if you're working, you know, as a single parent full time, it's so hard to get there. Even, you know, minority or not, we see the most of minorities just because of poverty rates. Right. But, I mean, even just like going to school. I remember last semester I didn't have a car on campus. And for me to get to, to my Same. district to vote was such a hassle because it's on Tuesday. Right. I had to have my mom come pick me up after her staff meeting Mm -hmm. just so I could go home and go vote. It's very difficult to get there regardless. Mm -hmm. And And, in some communities, I just remembered, if you don't vote for a certain amount of years, they will... um, like remove your registration and you'll have to register again. And a lot of times these people will just show up to their polling place and they'll find out they're not registered. And obviously it's going to be past the deadline and they can't do anything about it. But they were never informed that they weren't registered because they did whenever, you know, however many years ago. So it's even just like little things like that are just meant to silence certain people. Closing down polling places Mm -hmm. too is a big problem. Not having the power, the manpower in polling places to even just get the job done. Like, you need a certain amount of people. And the thing about, you know, working the polls is you have to be there from the start to the finish. Right. So if you are in a community where, you know, you're in subsidized homes, it's just a very poor community, 
you probably can't take an entire day off to work at your local polling place. So if you don't have enough people to work it, it's either going to get shut down or there's going to be problems and the votes aren't going to count. Exactly. So it's just little things like that. That, yes, and disproportionately target specific communities. Mm -hmm. Next, again, kind of out of nowhere, but still very important, is the term Eurocentric. And this is the tendency to interpret the world in terms of European or Anglo-American values and experiences. Eurocentric values are upheld through beauty standards, language, and workplace habits. It is a form of assimilation as it urges BIPOC to abandon their culture in order to fit in. Just beauty standards alone? Yes. For, I'm, I mean, as a woman, I'm just going to say women of color because it's what I relate to the most. Right. I mean, I was told, like, I have to straighten my hair yes. to, like, be accepted. Like, I I hated having curly hair. Um, I, I, honestly, I'm at a point where I still get keratin treatments done relatively often. I'm working on straightening it less because I am proud of my curls, but, I mean, that's the damage of this, you know, right. Eurocentric society. Especially when you go online and search up a professional working appearance mm-hmm. versus unprofessional, and all the professionals of working appearance is white men and women with clean hair, straight hair, like suits and ties mm-hmm. and everything. But the hair is where the most emphasis is. If you look at all the women, they all have straight hair. Yeah. That's the professional look. And for men, it's just that they don't have afros or dreads. But then mm-hmm. if you look up unprofessional, that's what comes up. And how is that fair to someone who's born with that naturally or it's part of their culture? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be considered unprofessional because it's just their hair. And if we get to wear our hair just the way it is or can easily straighten it to make it look profe- professional in air quotes, <laughs> but... It's just not right. It's not unprofessional. That's their hair. That's their culture. And it should be embraced. It's not right that everything should be centered around the way a white person looks. Because obviously, not everybody looks like a white person. And that is completely unfair to say that someone should be discriminated against because they don't look like a white person. Yeah. And you know what I think is also funny is the emphasis on like having colored eyes. Because brown eyes is the most common eye color. Right. People with colored eyes always are like, oh, my God, your eyes. Like, me and Molly both have brown eyes. Has anyone ever come up to you and been like, oh, my God, your eyes are so gorgeous? No, never. My my own sister, who also has brown eyes, said to me, your eyes are so light brown. And I was like, oh, thanks. And she's (laughs) like, that's not a compliment. Just like that. That's how she said it. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's just, like, so strange. And it's, obviously, I can't relate to having curly hair. Like, my hair is naturally wavy. And I remember when I'd go to school wearing it natural, kids would come up to me and ask me why I didn't do my hair that day. They were like, what's wrong with your hair today? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I personally don't didn't think it looked bad. I think it's just natural the way it is. But because... It's expected to be pinned straight, and everybody's hair is supposed to look silky and smooth and pretty, pinned straight. It, I started straightening my hair in third grade. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, yeah, so it's really, the, that beauty standard is just so 
frustrating. Frustrating. And you know what's like kind of funny is that now in 2020, because of social media, people are like so obsessed with having curly hair, but it's still like the white version yes. of curly hair, which is so irritating. It's like if like- you have like 3C, 4A, 4B, 4C, anything in that region, you know, really anything past 3A hair, right. for those of you that know what that means, it's like that's where it's not cute anymore. Yeah. Which is so annoying that you're pretty much just saying wavy hair or slightly curly yeah. hair. You have to have the long curls that mm-hmm. are loose, but it's still present. Yeah. So, like, if you're having, if you have an afro, if you have coils, yep. that's sorry, not what we're talking count. about. We're, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's just. And that whole notion, you know, it kind of feeds into. Um, Cultural appropriation, yes. which we'll get to, you know, in a different podcast. That it's definitely needs to, touch to be unpacked on. in its whole own episode. Yeah, but. but Eurocentricism and just this whole idea of standards, beauty standards, plays a huge role in why cultural appropriation is such a problem. Exactly. Um, so moving right along, the next word on our list is xenophobia. So xenophobia is fear or hatred of foreigners or foreign customs. So, you know, the most common example and the times that you'll hear it the most on the news is when talking about Muslims in America. People who hate Muslims or have, you know, hate speech or just afraid of whatever, they're called xenophobes. Cause, but it's also even like past the Muslim community and past the um, Middle Eastern community, things like immigrants coming in, you know, southern border, and we say, oh, like, but drug dealers, oh, but, like, assaults and things like that. All of that stems from xenophobia and, you know, fear of the other. And it's just not rational because yeah. it's not, like, white people do these same things. And for some reason, I feel like when anybody thinks of crime, I guess I'm specifically speaking from a white person, we kind of forget that white people also commit crimes. Yeah. And also can benefit from the benefits that America gives out and also can cheat the system and also do these things. And it's just, you can't criticize a whole other race of people that you don't even really know much about because Mm -hmm. you're probably a white person in America who only cares about your view of the world. And without thinking about how there are so many people already in this country who do those things and do them more often. The people you're so afraid of are not the ones who are taking advantage of these things. It's probably people you know within your own communities uh, are your race. Absolutely. Like, that's just how I feel about that. If you're going to criticize a whole another race for fear or hatred of foreign customs and things like that, just think about how people of your own race already act and you know what's even more interesting about that is that a lot of times it can go past race and we see it with you know the lgbt community schools are like so afraid like my parents talk about this all the time they're literally scared that if they teach it people are just going to become gay right you know or become (laughs) trans that's just not the case yeah or and same thing with tv if we put it out in the media Everybody is going to just become exactly. gay. No. It's, no, you not are, how it works. And all of that stems from fear of the other. You are born that way. You 
I, you know inside you are, and if you aren't, you're not just going to become that because it's you see it. You're just like, oh, representation. That's all yeah. that is. It's not. It's not. Oh, I mean, I'm gay now. Yeah, it's it's like there's a difference between like being confused and like being unsure and seeing it on TV, and maybe that has an influence on you. But like nobody's like gonna wake up one day completely straight, right. watch a TV show where there's a gay couple, and it's gonna be like, oh, well, I guess I'm gay. I'm gay like, now. <laughs> that's not how it's gonna that happen. That is not how it works. So next up, we have gentrification. And this is the process of repairing and rebuilding homes and businesses in a deteriorating area, typically urban neighborhoods, accompanied by an influx of middle class or affluent people, which often results in the displacement of earlier, usually poorer residents. It disproportionately affects BIPOC as it forces them out of their neighborhoods, causing them to lose control over the benefits that come with a better equipped area. So, a perfect example of this, which we are both familiar with, is the city of Boston. And this process can plainly be seen where there are different boroughs within Boston. So, for example, there's Roxbury versus, say, Back Bay. And then Dorchester versus, say, like, State Street area, things like that. There is such a huge difference in the quality of life in the people who live in Dorchester versus the people who live in more affluent areas of the city. And it's just because one part is mostly white and the other part is mostly black, and all the resources get put into the neighborhoods that are more, mostly white, and they were designed that way. Yeah, and Boston is, like, known to be one of the most segregated cities, and it's for that reason, and then people think, oh, then we'll just gentrify. We're going to take a bunch of white people, we'll move them into the bay, and then, you know, everything will be fine because we'll build some good homes, we'll start some new businesses, and then it'll bring money to that area, and taxes will go up, and then schools will be great, and everything will be fixed. And that is not what happens. No, what because... happens is the shop that the white person just opened up that is, you know, pr- practically governmentally funded because it's part of gentrification. Now, that shop, you know, took the moms and pop shop down the street completely out of business, putting an entire black family out of, you know, out of jobs. Exactly. Now they're going to, you know, suffer, the not pay the mortgage and then banks going to take over their home and then it's going to be torn down. It's going to, you know, be built a nice three-story house in its place where a new white family is going to move in. And that same thing is going to keep happening and happening and happening until instead of gentrifying and, you know, bringing money to these neighborhoods, you're just going to kick out every black person, every brown person, every Latinx person, every just even poor white people and replace them with affluent white people. And they just get displaced back into the poorer neighborhoods. And it's all under this guise of, oh, we know we're, you know, bringing people together. Oh, we're putting money in their communities. It's like, that's not not what you're doing. You're just making more money for yourselves. Yeah. And making better schools for yourselves. You're not thinking of benefiting everybody who was suffering before. You're just displacing them. Yeah. And gentrification, I mean, there's been times where it works. And there's been times where a neighborhood is better off. But 
most of the time it's not, especially when you're targeting primarily black areas. Right. We know what your goal is, and it is not to bring money into that community. It is not. It is to make the community more white. It's That's the bottom line of it. Um, a good example of this, actually, usually we give all of our um, resources at the end, and we'll give a few, like, fun ones. But just because we're talking about it right now, I'm going to bring it up. There was this episode in All American, which is a really good show that, you know, brings up these race issues, like, you know, in a way that's very easy to understand, where we see this, like, Crenshaw, this normally black neighborhood, you know, as soon as they get this white woman with a yogurt shop, a whole list of problems breaks out, and then, you know, they're at risk of losing their school, and things like that, and all of it is just because of gentrification, and just a little fun example for you to check out, (laughs) Um, but moving right along, we have something that we should have talked about a long time ago, but racism. What is racism? I'll tell you what it is not. It's not one race being mean to another race. That is not racism. Racism is the oppression of people of color based on socially constructed racial hierarchies that privilege white people. It's based off of a system of powers. So the people in power have, sorry, but the power to assert their dominance over marginalized groups. And they do so at every conceivable opportunity businesses, schools, institutions, government institutions, you know, all of them have racist tendencies because of America's racist past. Yes. And those systems are still in place today. And that is what racism is. Racism is absolutely not just one race insulting another race. It is not. It is a system of powers. It is a hierarchy of white people in control of everyone else. And this is why this movement is so important. Because we're trying to work to dismantle these systems mm-hmm. and improve them so that way everybody can be benefited and everyone has the opportunities to advance. Um, I, speaking of this, I remember seeing a tweet like right in the middle, like probably like June, where like uh, Black Lives Matter movement was like super at its highest um, in 2020. And it was somebody was decided that they were going to stop listening to um, the band Rage Against the Machine because they got super political and somebody was responding to them and saying, what do, what machine do you think they're raging against? You know? And so it's just like, it's interesting because, you know, so funny. People don't even make those connections. And you know, that's the system. Yeah. The racist system that, you know, this movement is trying to dismantle. The way you can live so obliviously to what's political and what's benefiting you Mm -hmm. just because you're so blind to it. Yeah. It benefits you constantly. Absolutely. So moving right along, we have hate crimes. These are violent or property crimes such as murder, arson, assault or vandalism that are motivated in whole or in part by an offender's bias against a race, religion, disability, sexual orientation, ethnicity, gender, or gender identity. 90% of those who commit hate crimes do not know their victims. They are different from terrorist attacks, as terrorist attacks tend to stem from extremist beliefs, and hate crimes tend to stem from personal beliefs, but the two are not mutually exclusive. So a hate crime can be a terrorist attack, if the person mass murders a bunch of people just because they hate them because of their race 
or their sexual orientation. And this is seen a lot with shootings in, it can be in different churches and more recent example, because that happened a few years ago. Yeah, and another example is right after 9-11 happened, you know, when this like huge surge of patriotism hit the country, Right. we saw hate crimes against Muslims rise by like 500%, exactly. I think it was. They went from having like 60 cases a year to having almost 500 in the year 2000. And that's horrible because obviously not every Muslim is responsible for the 9-11 attacks. Yeah, and also and it's, I, I shouldn't have said Muslims. I should have said Middle Easterners because yes. there's also a huge misconception that every Middle, every Eastern, Middle Eastern is a Muslim. Is a Muslim and that's, that in itself. You yes, know. that is true. We did misspeak on that. Just attacking a Middle Easterner because they look like the people who committed a crime against us is just not fair and it's purely out of hate and that's just so wrong to do because they're just trying to live their lives and imagine how afraid they are here now because Mm -hmm. they know that they have that attack associated with them absolutely i mean people went as far as to change their names if they had muslim sounding names right because they were so afraid that somebody was going to attack them yeah just hate crimes are, there's so many, t- and there's so many degrees that they can be, and it can be about any issue at all, but if you have that much hate inside of you for a specific person because of something they identify with, it's just, how? Yeah. I just don't understand how somebody can have that much hate in them. And, and especially when it comes to race. Right. Like, you don't choose to be born into a certain country or exactly. to be a certain race. Exactly. So, like, what makes it okay to hate somebody solely based off of their race? Seriously. In no other aspects sometimes than the skin color. Just purely the skin color is what's enough to make, to set someone off and say, I'm going to go murder all of these people today. Just absolutely crazy. All right, moving along to white privilege, which kind of, you know has its ties to hate crimes because if you you know if you're white and you commit a hate crime the likelihood of you getting out of any repercussions astronomical um white privilege is not the suggestion that white people have never struggled rather the idea that there is a built-in advantage to being white in america so we did a whole podcast about this that you can go back and listen to um but Basically, white privilege is just the fact that your life is not made harder by the fact that you are white, like it is for people of color. Yes. So if I was a working class woman of color versus a working class white woman, I would have a harder time, you know, providing for my family, getting a raise at my job than this white woman would. Yes. And that, that is what white privilege is. That is what white privilege is. And like she, like Miriam said, we do have the full podcast going in more in depth on what this term means and several more examples of it, how mm-hmm. it's so just prevalent in every aspect of American life, pretty much. Yeah, and a lot of important statistics that you guys should definitely take a definitely. listen to. And, you know, it goes past to what you think it is. We talked about, you know, the war on drugs and right. the prison systems and 
mm-hmm. even voter suppression we talked about it just there's a lot that goes into white privilege and things as simple as going to the grocery store and being able to apply for a job it's things as simple as that white privilege has an impact on mm-hmm. those things absolutely so there are so many other terms that are very important to the movement and we would be so happy to do an episode just like this one explaining um, more terms that are important for you to know um, if there is any that you have a question on feel free to let us know at our instagram yeah. change today podcast we'd be so happy to hear suggestions to answer any of your questions and just to get feedback from you guys yes we really would and if you liked this episode, we can, we're always happy to do more episodes like this. Mm-hmm. And if you think we missed something important, we'd be happy to go in depth on that term. And here are some sources that we used while putting this episode together. Stay Woke, A People's Guide to Making All Black Lives Matter by Candace Watts-Smith and Tahame Lopez-Bunyasi. And... Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? by Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum. Um, For extra resources and where me and Molly got inspiration for this, you can check out Barbara Smith on Instagram. She did a series um, of posts called The Alphabets or the ABCs of of, the Black Lives Matter movement. yeah, Yeah, and we were really inspired by her to make kind of like just a vocab based podcast to get people, you know, understand some of these major terms that are used and especially when they're loosely thrown around it can be hard to keep track of so we are really thankful for Barbara Smith for doing that um you can also just even you know the media you can watch Dear White People on Netflix or Black AF as well as the movie Just Mercy and Get Out um media nowadays especially when it's a black producer or a black director we really get to see a more accurate description of what it's like living in America while black. Definitely. Um, there's plenty of others. I think Roma you can watch on Netflix as well. Um, things like that. There's so many, um, you know, movies, TV shows, music that you can get into and just, you know, enjoy, but also still learn from. Yes. But we do just want to mention, try to stay away from the ones that portray a white savior yes um, which is a term that we can explain in another podcast if you're very interested um but yeah there's so many media sources that you can check out now definitely yes there's so many resources and we're lucky to live in a time where we have these resources available to us in an instant yeah very easily accessible just honestly you can even plug it into a google search and be surprised at the moment that you find Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope you'll join us next week. And just remember that while it might be hard to join a movement, honestly, if you're trying your best, if you're getting out there, if you're signing petitions, if you're even just making a difference, speaking to your family, then you are doing your part. And one person is not going to change the world. So if you ever feel you know, discouraged or that you're not doing enough, just, you know, you're not the only one that feels that way, but we, you are so appreciated and we are so thankful that you are even trying to better your community. Yes. With that, don't forget, forget that, that there is always hope for change today. today.